The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 11 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC11. This is Secret Church 11, Episode 7. Gospel and Homosexuality. Romans 1, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts that are not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, or they've be- even though women exchanged natural relations for one- unnatural ones, in the same way, men have been in natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. So what, what does the gospel have to do with homosexuality? Let's start with thinking about homosexuality in the world, just to address real quickly the ideas and thoughts and ideologies that are out there in people's minds when they think about homosexuality. There's a prevailing view that homosexuality is innate, I was born homosexual. God made me this way. Homosexual orientation is one of God's gifts, God's gifts in my life. Mel White, a prominent gay spokesman for supposedly, quote-unquote, Christian lesbians, gays, bisexuals, and transgender men and women, said, I've learned to accept and even celebrate my sexual orientation as another of God's good gifts. Others think homosexuality is fixed. My homosexual orientation can't be changed. It's just the way I am. One prominent gay psychiatrist said sexual orientation simply can't be changed. There may be severe emotional and social consequences in the attempt to change from homosexuality to heterosexuality. It's fixed. Others believe that the core homosexuality is loving. What's wrong with it? My partner and I love each other, an exclusive relationship. How can can that be wrong? Why stop that or be afraid of that? Others say, well, homosexuality is Christian. Many people say Jesus didn't say anything against homosexuality. Troy Perry, one... Prominent gay Christian leader said, as for the question, what did Jesus say about homosexuality? The answer is simple. Jesus said nothing, not one thing, nothing. Jesus was more interested in love. Others say, well, I'm Christian and I'm gay. How can that be if homosexuality is wrong? Mel White, go back to him, said, now, thank God, after 30 years of struggle, I can say at last who I really am. I am gay, I am proud, and God loves me without reservation. Others have said, I attend a great church where the presence of God is evident. How can that be if homosexuality is wrong? The next logical step from there is the idea among many that homosexuality is biblical. Passages in Scripture which deal with homosexuality have obviously been misinterpreted, or the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. So let us see what homosexuality says about the Word. And the reality is, Romans 1 deals with homosexuality, but it's even a bigger picture just of the sinfulness of all of our hearts and how that plays out in all of our sexuality, whether it's heterosexual sin or homosexual sin. And so the picture here is, what does sin do in our lives? First, see the anatomy of sin here in Romans 1. This will be huge for all of us, regardless of whether we have any struggles with homosexuality. The sin disorders our worship. Paul says, although Although people knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise and became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. The picture here is disordered worship. We exchange God's pattern for our preferences. Sin disorders our worship to where God is not supreme in our hearts. That's the whole point of Romans chapter 1 verse 18 through 32. The, the reality is, any sexual sin, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, the picture is, it springs from a heart that doesn't delight supremely in God and God's ways. It's interesting. You go back to Genesis 1 and 2, you see God's pattern for marriage, which is clearly between a male and a female. That is God's design. The Bible very clearly, definitively shows us that as God's design. And then shows beyond that, Sin, sexual sin, 
All, all things that are labeled sexual sin in the Bible are things that subvert that design that's in Genesis 2. Whether it's sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman, or sexual relationships between men and men and women and women. This is the design of God, and that which forsakes, undercuts the design of God, is classified as sin in Scripture. And in that sense, we're all guilty here of disordered worship. We have exchanged God's praise for our pleasures, these passions that wage war in our souls. And the reason is we're born with a heart of pride. We're brought into the world in sin. And so all of us have different biological heritages, but we all have one common spiritual inheritance, and it's sin. So the Bible doesn't leave room for anybody to say, well, God wouldn't allow for somebody to be born with a bent toward a particular sexual sin. The Bible says we are all bent towards sexual deviation. And this is big, very clear for two reasons. One, because clearly homosexual thought, desire, and practice it is an adjustment of the pattern of God in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, which is reiterated by Jesus and Paul in the New Testament. But the second reason is huge. It's not just homosexual sin that, that skews that pattern. It's heterosexual sin as well. The reality is I represent the vast, the, the class of people that is responsible for the vast majority of sexual wrongdoing in the world today. Male heterosexuals. And I and every other heterosexual person would be wise to stop looking at the speck in others' eyes on this when there is a log in our own eye. If we shake our heads at conversations about same-sex marriage, but then we turn the channel to stare uncritically at a drama showing us adultery on TV, watch the trivialization of sex in a sitcom, seductive images on reality TV shows or virtual prostitution and advertisements, then we have missed the point. Are our sins acceptable because they are the sins of the majority? Obviously not. And so we need, all need the gospel when it comes to this. Sin disorders all of our hearts worship. And from this, sin disorders our belief. We exchange the truth of God for tolerance. We say exchange truth or tolerance. So here's the deal. We live in a culture today where to say that homosexual expression... Or even heterosexual expression outside of marriage between a man and a woman is wrong, is to go totally against the grain of the culture. You would certainly be labeled tolerant very quickly. But you think about that statement, that it's tolerant to, intolerant to say that homosexuality is wrong. First of all, it would be self-defeating to say that statement. Meaning that you're claiming that I'm intolerant, and in the process you're claiming your intolerance of me. The way I would put it is our culture is so sick of intolerant people that it's not going to tolerate them anymore. In other words, people who claim to be tolerant are intolerant of intolerant people, which means they cannot tolerate themselves. Did you follow that? This is foolishness that we've created in our, in our thinking. There is, there is such thing as truth, and that's the whole point that we're seeing in, in Romans 1, John 8, John 14. Not only have we exchanged truth of God for tolerance, but we've exchanged the word of God for the experience of man. We have relativized the word of God, saying that truth is actually dependent on what we think or what we believe, or what we want. And this is the core of the issue when it comes to homosexuality. Even if there was nothing besides Genesis 1 and 2, we would see that this is God's design. But then we do see clear pictures in Scripture that speak against homosexuality. Genesis 19, it's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. There the Bible gives us a glaring picture of homosexual sin. 
referred to in Jude 7. The holiness code in Leviticus 18.22 and 20.13. You shall not lie with a male as a woman. It is an abomination. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. Both use the same term in the Greek, Greek translation of Leviticus 18 and 20 to refer to homosexual behavior that is evil in God's sight. It's the picture in Romans chapter 1. So... To try to say that scripture does not speak against homosexuality is to take the biblical text on an exegetical circus. In order to say that the Bible supports homosexual, homosexuality, homosexual advocacy must maintain either that. One, the Bible is irrelevant. Now this is where some supposed Christians have gone. Listen to Gary David Comstock, University Protestant Chaplain at Wesleyan University. Not to recognize, critique, and condemn Paul's equation of godliness, godlessness with homosexuality is dangerous. To remain with our respective Christian traditions and not challenge the passages that degrade and destroy us is to contribute to our own oppression. Those passages will be brought up and used against us again and again until Christians demand their removal from the biblical canon. Or at the very least, formally discredit their authority to prescribe behavior. Remove them. Get rid of the verses. Either the Bible is irrelevant or the Bible is inaccurate. William Kent. Remember the United Methodist study to com- committed to study homosexuality said the scriptural text in the Old and New Testaments condemning homosexual practice are neither inspired by God nor are they of enduring Christian value. At least Kent's honest enough to hear what they're saying that the Bible is condemning homosexual practice, but then he just says that well, it's not true, it's not inspired by God. So if you have to either you have to say the Bible's irrelevant, inaccurate, or you have to say the Bible's insufficient. This one takes the cake. Luke Timothy Johnson, Robert Woodruff, professor of New Testament at the Canner School of Theology at Emory University, accepts that the Bible nowhere speaks positively or even neutrally about same sex love. Listen to this. I think it's important to state clearly that we do, in fact, reject the straightforward commands of Scripture and appeal instead to another authority when we declare that same sex unions can be holy and good. And what exactly is that authority? We appeal explicitly to the weight of our own experience and the experience thousands of others have witnessed to, which tells us that to claim our own sexual orientation is, in fact, to accept the way in which God has created us. By so doing, we explicitly reject, as well, the premise of the scriptural statements condemning homosexuality, namely that it's a vice freely chosen, a symptom of human corruption and disobedience to God's created order. Don't miss the danger here. He never asked the most obvious question. If we're not going to trust the authority of the Bible, we're going to trust human experience. Then whose experience are we going to trust? And the obvious answer is his experience. Exalting the word, the experience of man over the word of God. To put it bluntly, the claims... If, if the claims put forward by the supposed Christian homosexual movement are true, then the entire system of the Christian faith is undercut. Lest you think that is an overstatement, think about it. If the Bible is not authoritative, the Bible is wrong or misdirected on certain issues, then who is to say what the Bible is right and wrong about? Sin disorders our thinking, our belief. And then sin disorders our desire. Who we worship affects what we believe, what we believe affects how we feel. And this is... This is where it comes to desire. We have exchanged sexual responsibility for supposed rights. This has become a civil rights issue in many people's minds. They're all about debates over rights. Right to sexual preference. And my purpose tonight is not to have a public policy debate. But I want to point out that what's not in the conversation that needs to be in the conversation, obviously in the church, is responsibility before God. Responsibility before God. And and at this point, we have exchanged what Scripture says about our desires for what science says about our desires. 
The idea that prevails today is that science is serving the cause of civil rights and the bigotry of traditional Christian religion is against civil rights. I'm not saying that the Bible is opposed to science. In fact, I'm confident the Bible is not opposed to truth in any form. But no matter what science says or science includes about our desires, where our desires come from, how we get them, Scripture still speaks about those desires. And Scripture says improper sexual desire is immoral, not inevitable. And put it this way, when a man makes a rude sexual comment, or maybe even when a man commits adultery, some people shrug it off and say, well, men are just like that. They have those desires. Other people think that young teenagers who experience with sex are just doing what they're expected to do. They have those desires. But when an adult solicits sex with a minor because he desires it, no one is saying, let him do it. That's just the way he is. His desires are immoral, not inevitable. Well, let's go ahead and tie all this together. Sin disorders our worship, our desires, our belief, our, our belief, our desires, and then sin disorders our behavior. We act out our desires. So see the core here. The core here is not what we're doing. The core here is what's going on in our hearts and our behavior. Now think about this. We have exchanged moral obligations for natural explanations. And there's a lot of research today, and it's all debatable, being debated on all sides, looking at what determines homosexual desire and behavior. Biological factors, social factors, environmental factors, emotional factors, all kinds of factors that play into each of us who we are. What I want to propose, based on what we're seeing in God's Word, is that it doesn't really matter what the research finally concludes, if it concludes anything. None of that determines the rightness or wrongness of one's actions. We've exchanged moral obligations for natural Explanations, assuming that if there's a natural, natural explanation, then that implies moral obligation. If I'm this way, then I have to act it out. There's mega danger in that kind of thinking. Just for the sake of illustration, compare this to pedophilia for a second. Why would God have given a, a pedophile that desire if it wasn't intended to be carried out? He's made the pedophile that way. He's given him that gift. Jesus never spoke against it. In fact, he welcomed the children. He says he's a Christian. He has these desires. He can't change. He's tried to go to therapists, but it doesn't work. He's been told to suppress his natural orientation, but he can't deny it. No matter how many people in society say he should, he's just a persecuted minority. And as a result, all the more deserving of rights to molest children. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that homosexuality and pedophilia are exactly the same. I am pointing out, though, that causation does not imply justification. That's just the way I am does not hold up. Time magazine reported at one point that infidelity may be in our genes. Gentlemen, it may not be natural for you to be faithful to one woman, but adultery is not justifiable before God. This is, this is key. The reality is we do not always choose our temptations. So there may be sufficient evidence that some of us are born with, with one, a tendency toward this sin and others born with a tendency toward that sin. We don't choose our temptation, but we always choose our reactions. Everyone has struggles with sexual sin in some ways. And the Bible clearly gives us boundaries in which to live and restrain those things for the glory of God. You say, well, where does that leave me? What does the gospel then have to do with sexuality? The gospel has everything to do here. Because the gospel reorders our worship. Sanctified, justified, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It reorders our worship. The gospel renews our belief and transforms our mind. The gospel refreshes our desires. I'm not saying that in Christ, immediately, when you're saved, born again, all improper sexual desire vanishes. But through the gospel, we pray for God to refresh our desires. 
The contemporary thinking about sexual sin just says you're that way, so give in to it. No, you've been conquered by superior desire in Christ and His holiness and His beauty. And you pray for His desire to overwhelm you more and more and more. The gospel redeems our behavior. <laughs> I heard one homosexual man testify to the power of the gospel in his life as he stood beside his wife and nine children. In his words, God heals very well. I'm not saying that People in this room who may struggle with homosexual desires will get married and have nine children. But I am saying that the Bible intends every one of our lives to be a demonstration of grace. And where sin abounds in each of us, grace abounds all the more. And so I would challenge the church in these ways. Number one, three ways. Look in. Based on Matthew 7, Romans chapter 2, it's high time for the church to completely avoid selective moral outrage. Biblically assess your spiritual and sexual condition. Be honest. Let the gospel transform you. You flee from sexual immorality. Then look out. How do we respond to gay men, lesbian women around us in our lives and our families and our workplaces? Based on Matthew chapter 9, express humble compassion. Stanton Jones from Wheaton College said, If you cannot empathize with a homosexual person because of fear or revulsion to them, then you are failing our Lord. Express humble compassion and maintain deep conviction. It's not easy to cling to the word today, but cling to it. Cling to it, even when those who are close to you profess homosexuality. We cannot go the way of throwing God's word out the window because we are afraid to to stand on it. So show them the word and weep with them over the word. And finally, look up to God. Exalt his glory. Sexual sin starts with robbing God of the glory he is due. So fight sexual sin with giving God the glory he is due and proclaim the gospel. Share the gospel. Show the power of the gospel in your life so that people come to know Christ and His love and His mercy and His grace and His peace and His salvation. Even if it's not easy, God has not called us to play things safe, but to tell the truth. Amidst publicly policy debates, share the gospel with your life. God has not called us to control the government, but to preach the gospel. And proclaim the gospel with compassion. God has not called us to win arguments, but to win souls. This is the gospel on homosexuality. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.